chilled your delicate sensibilities. This has explicit fucking content. Hello, I'm Angela, and I have 30 years experience in the adult entertainment industry. And my name's Jordana, and I once accidentally fucked the burglar. Drift bear. Yes. So in sex news, breaking news. So there was this dude and he was a hobo. Okay. Are we allowed to say that word? I don't know. He was an unhoused individual, far more politically correct. Okay. He was living outside London and he got a blister on his cock and he burst it. And the next thing you know, Bob's your uncle and it fell off and he threw it in the trash, you know, like you do. This leads to that. And they have great healthcare system there, evidently. And they reattached it, but they had to like graft it for like they put it on his arm so they dug it out of the trash no they made a new one how how do you construct a brand new penis out of the skin on his arm wholesale built a pole that's amazing but during the surgery he he like his oxygen dropped oh no so they like left it on his arm and then covid became a thing so they couldn't attach it i see so he just like had this dong on his arm for six years <laughs> for six years yes while he was waiting and he's like this is the most awful thing that's ever happened to me not losing it but having one attached to his yes forearm. he said it hit his grandma in the face when he went <laughs> So they were finally able to reattach it. Congrats. Super thrilled. I bet. (laughs) Way to go, England. So I guess uh, a bird near the hand is not worth two in the bush. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That was exciting. It was. And entertaining. All right. So listeners loved you answering questions about the industry. So we got more questions. I love questions. What was the best part of the job? Every job you had across the industry, what was your favorite thing about working at clubs? I think that the favorite thing for me was that it it was something new every day. It was always different and unique. Don't get me wrong. There were monotonous aspects of it. But most days when I went to work, it was, it was a party. I mean, it was my job to put on a party. I worked with amazing people. We got to throw amazing parties. So it was a good time. Most, most of the time it didn't feel like work. So we spoke a lot on last episode about very lighthearted parts of the adult entertainment industry. However, sometimes the adult entertainment industry does go hand in hand with sex trafficking. It can um, be a part of that. So if at any point in time you feel that you are trafficked through the clubs or if you know of anyone whether it's through the clubs or anywhere else that's having an issue with human trafficking and human trafficking can look a lot different than a lot of people think when you think of human trafficking you think about i think about pimps and and hookers but a lot of other people think about 
a young girl getting drugged and whisked away at a grocery store. Right. It can be both things, but I think for, for the U.S., it's more common that it's it's young women who are, are forced into sex work through a man that they know and trust who becomes their pimp. There are lots of signs to look for, and we can list them in the show notes, just like the top five signs to look for when you're concerned that there might be a human trafficking situation. But most importantly, I wanted to let everyone know that there's a national human trafficking hotline, and um, we'll also put that information in the show notes. The uh, phone number is one 888 373-7888. I think it is important for people to know that you're more likely to see sex trafficking at a club than you are a door-to-door vacuum salesman, which it seems like soccer moms on Facebook think that that is lurking around every corner for every salesman that is in their neighborhood. And that is probably not the case. It is probably not the case. And I have to tell you in all the years that I was in the clubs, in my experience, I did not see a lot of human trafficking. I know of an instance and it wasn't even at my club. Um, it's it's something that happened at other clubs in Detroit, and that was like a national case, so people know about that. But I I never saw that. Um, not to say it doesn't exist. It's just not com- as common as people think. You know, it's not just running rampant throughout the U.S. It happens. Um, it's just not like a huge issue, at least at the at the clubs that I was at. It might not be a huge issue at the clubs, but the U.S. does have. They do. Yeah, absolutely. They do have a problem um, with it. And um, I think that now that it's being brought to light, people are talking about it more. There's a conversation about human trafficking and what it actually looks like, that there's a lot more attention brought to it and that we're seeing we're seeing more of it because it's you know, it's out there now. So we're definitely um, hopefully moving forward to getting closer to ending human trafficking as we know it in the U.S. I think you're right. And I think that is a very important topic. And if someone approaches you, if you're a runaway, if you're listening to this and some dude approaches you at a bus stop and he's like, hey, I got a job for you. You look like you could be a model. Uh, That seems sus. Watch your back. Watch your back. So today we're going to talk to D. For eight years, he was an outreach specialist with the health department. He counseled people and... What else? So I worked out in the population uh, talking about sex and giving out condoms. And then I also worked in our sexually transmitted disease clinic. So I would do some testing, but not all of the testing. I bet you talked to some very fun individuals, like met a lot of people. You could definitely say that. Yes. So what all did um, your at the clinic job entail? A lot of the times I worked in the HIV program doing testing for people who would walk in and want to be tested. So there would be a variety of individuals that would come in wanting to know their status. And we had a a test where we could get results in about 20 minutes. Uh, It was nice that they could tell me their story in a quick amount of time, give them some condoms, try to help them to choose to make some safer choices, send them on their way. You said you worked out in the community too. Did that involve like a needle exchange program? So at the time when I worked there, uh, we did not have a needle exchange program. It was still out loud. We did more about safer, like harm reduction sort of things. So I would give out bleach kits and pamphlets and information and walk people through how to clean their needles and things. Because I did work with the intravenous drug user population, but that also spilled into whatever was popular at the time. So sometimes a lot of meth or crack or whatever the community was doing at the time. Do people still do, I don't know if you know this or not, you may not be able to answer it, 
but is it still taught in the community how to clean a needle or is it just basically you need to exchange that shit out? Do not be clean in that. Um, so I know the person who's working in the clinic now with that job title that does work under the new program, they do encourage people to come in and, and exchange their needles because they do have that set up as a free charge that they can do. But I believe if you don't have access to that for whatever reason, they still do teach the harm reduction and how to clean your needles. Again, you want to, to lower the risk if you can't zero it out. And the biggest threat with that is hepatitis, correct? Um, that's definitely a big one. Hepatitis is a little more transmittable than HIV when you're using needles, but HIV is transmittable as well. So it was kind of a two for one. Whenever we would go to give information, we would always talk about both. And what, besides the, the needles, uh, what other um, counseling did you give on transmission of those diseases? Um, outside of like the needle exchange portion, um, it was basically like safer sex counseling. So we would talk about sexually transmitted infections. We talk about HIV, the ways that you could get those, the ways that you could prevent them, which ones were treatable, which ones were not treatable. There was a lot of information given in the that 20 minute span. So if you had a quick and dirty tip for every human being on the planet, what would it be? Oh, wow. Um, you can still get stuff with your mouth. So you don't have a dental dam. Uh, saran wrap will work in a pinch. Just make sure you cut it to be a big enough piece and uh, have fun. These are great pearls of wisdom. <laughs> I'm writing this one down. It only gets better from here. So this is just a little bit off uh, where our topic currently is, but um, I've always wanted to know what the health department does with the information that they collect about individuals that test positive for sexually transmitted infection. So it depends on, on which infection it is. Most things are reportable to the state. It doesn't mean that your name necessarily gets reported, but the information about the infection does get reported to the state. There are a couple of infections that do require name reporting because they do require follow-up. We worked with some intervention specialists that would go out and actually do the contact tracing. They would talk to the person infected to find out who they were having sex with or whatever risky behavior it was at the time. And um, they would contact those contacts of theirs and reach out to them anonymously so they wouldn't know who was sending them. Um, and then we would get those people tested so that we could stop the spread. Someone at the health department actually made those phone calls? They were phone calls and actual like physical in-person visits um, if we couldn't get you on the phone. I'd also worked with the team to set up a way to reach people online. So if they were through an online dating site or a hookup site, we would often have a profile that was a health profile that we had set up where we could reach out to that client if we knew their screen name and say, hey, you know, we have some information. It was a legit profile that they could check with whatever site they were on, make sure, you know, we weren't just trying to prank them or spam them or anything of that sort. And a lot of sites have those health educator profiles that are free. Did you ever make those phone calls? No, that wasn't really in my purview. I would help them locate the people because sometimes they weren't real savvy with their online skills, but I would not be the person to make that contact initially. You know, and if anyone did say like, Hey, I ended up positive for this or that, could you reach out and tell those the people that I've had sex with? And I'm like, I can pass that information along, but it won't be, be me personally. So I did not have to do that, fortunately. I feel like that people would not want to be friendly to someone who they were getting that information from. I mean, it's definitely a touchy subject. I had heard many phone conversations um, from one side, of course, but a lot of people were just glad to know that they came in contact. And the majority of people, I think, did not have that mindset. So 
There were, of course, a few outliers that were probably complete assholes, but that wasn't the typical norm. What kind of um, services or counseling does the health department offer for people who find out that they're positive for especially one of the SEIs that you can't get rid of? Um, Well, there's a few. Um, HIV was kind of a separate entity in the program that I worked with. So, you know, we did our own counseling referrals. The state actually has some funding set up um, through the Ryan White program to help get them into care uh, and make sure that they're you know, being looked after. If it was something more along the lines of herpes, you know, genital warts or something, we were able to provide them with information about how it spread. But if they wanted something done about, say, the genital warts, they needed to go um, really to see a physician if they had to have like surgical intervention for anything. And with the herpes, you know, was just helping them get set up with a medication that can help prevent their outbreaks or make the outbreaks Uh, less severe for them. So was there a question that you would just, okay, so you know, like, you know, the scene in Clerks where they're getting all the dumbass questions. Is there like a string of dumbass questions you would always get from people? Could you like gauge your watch by something you were going to get asked every day? You know, it would always start out kind of interesting until you really didn't engage with how stupid it was or how childish the question may seem. A lot of times it was a lot more with the younger group than it was with the older group that I would see. But you just, you hammer through it, uh, you stay on target, you know, you try to match their vernacular so that you're speaking at their level, their understanding, and just reiterate to them there's no dumb questions. And then once you get past those little giggle moments, then people really do start to engage and listen. And I saw that a lot when I was teaching kids at different schools or came to speak at colleges even. So it's out there. You just have to hammer through it and kind of ignore it or giggle with them for a second and say, all right, let's get serious. And then that would change the tone of the conversation. I think I was more asking, like, did you get old men consistently asking you if it was true you couldn't get a girl pregnant if you only fucked her on a Thursday when the moon was full? (laughs) I wish. I wish. That would have been such an easy one to answer. (laughs) Um, No, no, I didn't get a lot of that. There was a lot of misconceptions, you know, the question about, hey, can I get this from a toilet seat? But that, I mean, has been around since I was even a kid. So can we talk about that real quick? The toilet seat thing? Sure. Let's talk about it. All right. So I'm asking that question. Can I get this from a toilet seat? The short answer is probably not. It doesn't matter what it is. Like you, you may be able to get lice, but you're talking about someone went in right before you and there was a little insect there and you didn't know and you picked it up. Um, There's a small chance that that could happen, I guess. But as far as like chlamydia, gonorrhea, those are discharge type things and you're going to have to rub your bits in it. And I'm pretty sure if you're hovering over a toilet seat, you're not going to go, Hmm, I want to sit on that. What about if you don't hover? What about if you sit on it? Just saying like, you're probably not going to get it. You know, look at your toilet seats, friends, look at your toilet seats, make sure they're clean. Okay. I mean, you wouldn't go to a public restroom and just plop your ass down on, on the seat, right? You're going to look and hover for a second. Yeah. I plop. I would. I I plop. I'm a plopper. Plop. (laughs) Well, I take a look. Maybe it's just because I've seen too much, but typically you're not gonna you're not gonna get anything from a toilet seat. No. I keep thinking about that Seinfeld episode with the where the chick got told she got something off a tractor seat. <laughs> no, I, I would think that you'd be more likely to get like the flu or something like that from a that kind of surface, but most likely not a sexually transmitted infection. The flu sounds pretty hardcore. 
Well, yeah, and you don't want that either. But it's not like you're getting your flu and your junk. So I mean, we are living in strange times. <laughs> that is true. I got the pussy flu. <laughs> I'm knocking on wood now. You should probably do that. Yeah. Now, careful though, because they did call the butt flu HIV once, like forever ago. Oh. So that was the early AIDS epidemic kind of a thing that I remember hearing. May not want to start that new trend. Yeah, let's not no, do that. that sounds awful. Some years back, I had read that the U.S. had pretty much eradicated syphilis. And then here recently at my job, we have had several cases of syphilis come in recently. I'm not sure how long ago it was that you were working there, but had you guys seen a huge increase in the syphilis rates? Interestingly enough, yeah, we did. It was usually... We would find that when we were testing people for HIV, we would just quickly do a blood draw and we could do both tests off of that one draw. Um, so it was easy enough to do for us out in the field. And we would find a lot of cases of syphilis where people didn't even know they had it. Syphilis is one of those weird diseases that can kind of take different forms through different stages. Right. So it was it was interesting where we would find pockets in certain you know communities. And um, at one point, I actually set up a brigade to go down to one of the local bars and give out some information. So we dressed up like nurses and doctors and went out and spread information. We had a bus available for testing from one of our community partners and we were able to do all that in a couple of evenings. Nice. I once watched a documentary about how every child at one school got syphilis at a really? high school. I think called the lost children of Rockdale County. They were all going to these parties after school while mm -hmm. their parents worked and everybody in the town was in an uproar about it. But while they were all in line at the free clinic to get their antibiotics, they were all joking around about it. They thought it was hilarious and all the adults were in an uproar about it, but they thought it was funny. So I see what you're talking about with the pockets. Like that was definitely a pocket. Yeah. I, I can't say I've been called into one of those, but I was called to a rural school that was having an outbreak of, I think it was herpes. So we had to go and have one of the uh, assemblies in the gym and kind of give information out to everyone and kind of have a quick talk with them about how not to spread herpes um, because there was a lot of the senior and maybe junior year, I forget. I think maybe it was most of the senior year, but they, a lot of the population had it, which was uh, unfortunate for them because that's one of the ones you can't really get rid of. Is it true that you won't spread genital herpes unless you're having an outbreak or is that a misconception? It's not necessarily true. The virus sheds through your skin, so you can still pass it along even if you're not in an active outbreak. The chance is a bit less to spread it that way, but it is still possible. Do you have any interesting, fucked up, or a funny anecdote perhaps of something that happened once when you were working? Oh my God. Probably the worst one. And I hate to admit it, but I had a horrible migraine one day. Um, the fluorescent lighting was just killing me. So I shut my lights off. It wasn't helping. I was on the morning testing schedule, so I couldn't bounce out of there until noon because there was nobody else there for it. It's a quiet day. Nobody's came in. I'm counting down my time. I have about an hour left to go. And I get a phone call saying, Hey, you need to uh, get ready. We have a person that came in for testing today. I was like, okay. So I get all my things ready. I go to our counseling room. And as soon as this person walks to the door and I shut the door, he starts sobbing. I'm just like, oh God, I don't know if I can handle this today. So put on my best face and I'm listening. And 
about five minutes in, I have to stop her because we haven't even started the test yet. I'm like, this takes 20 minutes once the test starts running. Like, I need to put this in your mouth. So I stop her and I'm like, hey, let's start the test and we'll we'll walk through what's what's happened. So she starts telling me the story about how she has gone through um, basically this crappy life and how she ends up getting this good job and she gets a promotion and she starts traveling with her boss. And during the travels, um, they land some kind of a client and she ends up going out for celebratory drinks. And she doesn't drink because she's a good Christian woman. She just doesn't do that sort of thing. This was a point that was hammered to me the entire time. So she's telling me the story and she's kind of hinting around to what had happened. And I had to ask her, I was like, so did you end up engaging with your boss? Like, is that why you're here? Why you're upset? And she's like, I hate to admit it, but yes. She's like, I was really drunk and I don't remember it, but I woke up and I realized that we'd probably had sex and I went and got tested. And cause I, I was having some kind of a reaction a little bit later and I went and got tested and they told me I had herpes and I got herpes probably from that encounter because I never had it before because I'm a good Christian woman. <laughs> I was like, okay. So finally we're down to the nitty gritty of what's going on and why she's crying. And she's just rambling on and on and on and on and on. And literally every other thing she says is that she's a good Christian woman, good Christian woman. And it just like breaks in my head. Like my head is just pounding. I can't, I can't handle it. I stop her. And I was like, you know, that really has me thinking like you're saying that you needed to be brought closer to your husband and you're glad that he's being supportive of you through this and that you all have been brought together. Like you're closer, you're stronger together as a couple. And you know, this isn't going to happen again. It's like, maybe bear with me, but maybe, maybe Jesus gave you herpes really closer to your husband. And she paused <laughs> for a moment. And I thought, oh shit, what have I done? What have I done? What have I said? And then she goes, my God, I think you're right. Can I give you a hug? <laughs> and I was like, hell yeah, you can. But my heart was pounding. I was like, Jesus, I'm getting fired. Like what? <laughs> you can't be telling people that, you know, uh, Jesus gave you herpes. So it was probably the worst thing I think I'd ever done. But at that point I realized, I was like, mm, I need to not work when I have a migraine. <laughs> <laughs> So, but it was, hey, it's what she needed to hear at the time. So maybe Jesus gave you that migraine so that you could let that lady know Jesus had given her herpes. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, my God, I think you're right. <laughs> Can I give you a hug? <laughs> oh, I'm glad I never saw her again, even though she said she wanted to come back to see me. So, well, yeah. you were her brother in Christ at that point. I think so. You know, the disease that brings you together. <laughs> She was a good Christian lady all out drinking and swerping with her boss. You know, that was my gist of the story. I can only hear it like 30 times before I just broke. She did say she couldn't remember it. Gosh, I wonder if that was even consensual. Probably not. That's messed up. So that's probably my worst story. But I have a ton, a ton of things over the years that I've seen and heard and witnessed. And Did you deal with the unhoused population a lot? Um, I actually started a health fair for the MSM or men who have sex with men population. And during that, in the middle of summer, you know, there was always some homeless people around downtown where I live and, you know, I turned it into kind of like a homeless retreat where I could come and get some health checks and, you know, get some food and things like that. So I did work with the population quite a bit. And there were people who came into the health department for certain things that I'd have to go and take their blood on and do testing for them. So it was definitely part of the indigent population that we had to serve. And, you know, I never minded it. And what about sex workers? Did you work with them much? Absolutely. 
Um, that was a big, one of my community key holders that I would work with. They were often people who knew what was going on and who was doing what with whom, you know, they had the hookups to your bootleggers and like your dealers and everything, the populations that you really needed someone to get into for you, you know, because I didn't look like the population really, but I'm pretty good at, you know, speaking to whomever and giving respect to whomever I speak to, which is a funny thing to say after telling someone Jesus gave them herpes, but you know, it is what it is. But yeah, I had to work with uh, the group and, you know, they were always super friendly, super helpful, always wanted condoms from me. We would talk about that. Um, I'd give them dental dams. There was one girl that was like, Oh, I used to just wash these and turn them inside out. And I was like, that is probably the worst thing you could do, you know, because whatever was on the inside is going to be on the inside of you at this point. So let me just give you a supply of condoms. Like come and see me and I'll give you an entire box of them. You know, and it should last you at least a couple of weeks. Right. And she's like, Oh yeah, I enjoyed it. But yeah, I worked with all kinds of populations throughout the, the city. What are dental dams made out of? They used to be made out of a polyurethane, which would kind of squeak, which was weird. Um, but I think since then they've been, they're now like a nitrile or there may be several options. I'm not actually sure, but the ones that we ended up getting were nitrile based so that they were non, you know, non-allergen for most people like latex would have been. And they were scented, not flavored. If that, mm. that means anything to you. Some people are like, oh, I like the strawberry flavor. And I'm like, no, 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 there's no flavoring. We don't want to give anyone a yeast infection. Like this is just a scent. Wow. Scented. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't either. I feel like if somebody's going to be smelling me, they need to get my natural aroma. <laughs> <laughs> if they're getting that, uh, that close to your business, then I don't know. There's not much you can do at that point. You know, it's a risk you gotta be willing to take. <laughs> Thinking again about the hamburger dick. D <laughs> 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 doesn't know about that conversation. Have you ever made a moray with a fast food employee? Can't say that I have. Well, um, I have. And when he was getting off of work one day, it smelled like the food. So that was deeply unpleasant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, all up in his business. Grease trap. Oh my God. <laughs> Bourbon Street smells like the whole of the grease trap. That's exactly what it smells like. Like, really? Like, I think it does. That and urine. There's a lot of urine smell lots, there. Lots of urine, yes. For some reason, to me, grease trap smells worse than urine or any other bodily fluid. I've been to wastewater treatment plants and worked at them. And the worst ones were always the food plants. They smelled so much worse than human waste. Hmm. I can imagine. I worked at a hospital in a lab and uh, would have to deliver samples of all sorts. And it was not always my favorite thing to do. Why though? Why wasn't it my favorite thing to do? Uh, probably because of the the smells. Um, at least I didn't have to be there while they were being collected. That was nice. Have you, you ever know? had to give a urine sample where they make you walk out with it in front of a bunch of people? Uh, just for drug testing. I had to do that the other day. Like in front of a bunch of people, which I don't give a fuck about that. It just seemed weird. Like, why do I have to carry my urine this far across the doctor's office? They didn't have a little window you stuck it in? No. They made me go to a public restroom in the (laughs) office building. (laughs) I had to go to fucking Narnia. (laughs) Through a wardrobe. (laughs) Or a shifferobe, if you will. Bizarro. Uh, Anything else you'd like to add? Any of my facts are off, then forgive me. It's been a few years since I've done it. But uh, to the best of my knowledge, as I sit here today. Thank you so much for being with us today, Dee. Thank you. And with that, we're we're here here if you need to talk. Did I scream?